0: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, April 16th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, community leaders urge Governor Reeves to sign a parole eligibility bill that's been sitting on his desk since the end of the legislative session. Then, while the arguments in the case against Initiative 65 focus on process, under the surface, the subject of the matter, medical marijuana, is playing a significant role. Plus, this year's Poetry Out Loud competition might look different, but the result is familiar. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A bill to expand parole eligibility in Mississippi is waiting to be signed into law by the governor. It's a measure advocates say could reduce prison overcrowding, reduce correction spending and help reconnect families. Yet since being passed with bipartisan support in the legislature weeks ago, the bill has remained in limbo awaiting a signature. Senate Bill 2795, known as the Mississippi Earned Parole Eligibility Act, would allow for more inmates to qualify to be released from prison. Some incarcerated Mississippians are serving decades-long sentences for nonviolent crimes and would be eligible for parole if the measure becomes law. Pastor C.J. Rhodes of Mount Helm Baptist Church in Jackson advocates for prison reform in Mississippi. He tells our Kobe Vance the bill provides the opportunity to restore families.
1: Parole eligibility at present is pretty difficult in Mississippi for uh, for most of our uh, inmates and this piece of legislation if the governor signs it into law would make the eligibility a lot easier. Now eligibility as you probably already know isn't saying that everyone who applies for uh, parole will get it. It just means that more and more persons uh, who are behind bars Will at least be eligible for it if they've served a certain fraction of their time. And I think there are a lot of particularly nonviolent offenders, folks who've had various kinds of drug possession, uh, sentences, for instance, uh, could very well be reunited with their families and their communities. And I think for that uh, reason alone, um, you know, restoring families as, you know, as best as possible, uh, is, is a good kind of pro family, pro life kind of kind of appeal that we uh, in the faith community uh, understand it to be.
2: What are some of the struggles that are facing uh, prisoners in Mississippi prisons currently, and and how would this help?
1: Yeah, I mean, so one, we have an overcrowding issue in in Mississippi prisons. We are pretty much second to Louisiana. as having the highest uh, per capita uh, prison population. So uh, a lot of those things are starting to, to turn around with the new, Commissioner of the Mississippi Department of Corrections, but for instance, you go back to the issues in Parchman some time ago um, with the so-called gang fighting, um, and, and you know throughout the system you see you know uh, issues with uh, those kinds of fights that break out. You um, see uh, understaffing that has been a part of of the system where there are not enough employees uh, servicing the prisons. And so that may lead to a lot of, a lot of issues. Um, and then on the family side, a lot of times the families of incarcerated persons are kind of locked up themselves. If so they love and want to visit and see their loved one or take those calls, a lot of times those are very expensive. They have to end up taking on the financial support of their loved ones behind bars, uh, making sure they can have, you know, food, for instance, the canteen. And so they're paying not only, you know, Let's say, you know, one of the members of the family who was behind bars was a breadwinner. Now it means that only one family member, you know, the husband or wife, for instance, a boyfriend or girlfriend, they're carrying the weight of the bills while also taking care of their loved one behind bars. So, you know, just from, from you know violence to just basic family dynamics, um, we have um, over-incarcerated, and then have not historically created as many pathways to um, rehabilitation and return citizenship. And it's costing us financially, but it's also costing us, I think, emotionally and and
2: societally. C.J. Rhodes is pastor at Mount Helm Baptist Church in Jackson. Uh, Pastor Rhodes, thank you for your time. Thank you.
0: Mississippi has one of the highest incarceration rates in the nation. Violence erupted in the state's prison system in early 2020, resulting in a number of prisoners dying. The prison system is now under investigation by the U.S. Justice Department. Russ Latino, president of Empower Mississippi, says the bill would ease overcrowding and free up needed resources to focus on those who actually pose a danger to communities.
3: What we have seen in other states that have very similar standards to the ones that that is in this bill is that uh, their crime rates have continued to go down while they're implementing these reforms. Part of the reason for that is if you've got a limited pool of resources and you're stretching that limited pool of resources too far on people that don't really pose a threat, then you can't put a focus on the people who are actually dangerous. And so the the way that we see it working is that you get people out who don't pose a threat. That allows you to apply more resources to those people who actually do jeopardize the safety of community. So it has the effect of bringing down crime rates. The the other thing that's important about granting pool eligibility is the safety that gets brought about in the prison itself. So if you get somebody in prison for a decade-long or two-decade-long sentence, and there's literally no incentive for good behavior, and you put them in an environment where there's already some bad apples and there's already hostility, then you're, you're, you're doing nothing to encourage that good behavior. If you, if you put tool eligibility on the table, you enter into a different kind of incentive for the prisoner, because now they're looking at it and saying, look, if I behave well, if I, if I do everything that's asked of me, I'm gonna have a chance to get out of here earlier. And so it actually leads to better behavior in the prison, better investment and in rehabilitation, uh, in the prison as well, because people feel like there's some hope that if they do things right, there there's a chance, that there really is a second chance.
2: Is there any other aspects of prison reform that you think Mississippi could accomplish in the in the next few years?
3: I, I think there are several things. There was a bill this session that would have addressed reforms with the, the three-strikes law. We still think that's a prime area. Uh, you've got something like 90 people that are currently sitting in prison. With life sentences without the possibility of parole, and their third offense is a nonviolent drug offense. We think there's something fundamentally wrong about that, and that we've got to have laws that are nuanced enough to recognize that a strict three strikes in are out is probably not good for the individual. It's probably not a fortunate punishment, but it's also really bad for the state to have to pay for those folks in that, that situation. So we think we're framed with habitual laws for reform we think there's some good things going on with pre-child aversion programs that probably could be scaled. Um, and so I think part of what we're trying to figure out is what are the things that are science-driven, data-driven, instead of just having to uh, lock them up and throw away the key. Uh, I would just say, like, if you think about the dynamic as being, uh, some people say tough, tough on crime versus soft on crime, we would say that really it's about being smart on crime. Like, it's, it's not about being weak. It's not about locking them up, throw away the key. It's like, what is the evidence suggest we should be in a way that ultimately benefits the taxpayer, keeps our community safe, and is also fair to the people who ultimately get in trouble with the system?
2: Russ Latino is president of Empower Mississippi. Russ, thank you for joining us today. Thank you.
0: Coming up, while the arguments in the case against Initiative 65 focus on process, under the surface, the subject of the matter, medical marijuana, is playing a significant role. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're a parent on the go, but still want to stay informed about your children's education, subscribe to
4: Mississippi Education Connections podcast and listen on the go anytime, anywhere
0: on your favorite podcast app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Initiative 65, the Constitutional Amendment ballot referendum establishing a medical marijuana program in Mississippi, hangs in the balance following a Supreme Court hearing this month. It is one of many ballot referendums, some successful, some not, that have gone through the same process outlined by the Mississippi Constitution. Mississippi's voter ID law passed the same way. Others, like the Personhood Amendment or Initiative 42 to fully fund the MAEP, failed but made it to the ballot in similar fashion. But 65, with the controversial subject of medical marijuana lying under the surface, is drawing the eye of scrutiny over the initiative process. Matt Steffi is a professor of constitutional law at the Mississippi College School of Law. In part two of his conversation with our Michael Guidry, Steffi argues once you look past the narrow argument of constructionist interpretation, the underlying factors behind the case rise to the surface.
5: I don't think this is a difficult question. I think if this occurred at the federal level, this is easily answered in one of two ways. That, one, we typically we consider the meaning of a constitutional word or the intent of the drafters. Even if you are a strict constructionist, what did those words mean when they were spoken and what did they, what was the intent of the people who spoke them? That is abundantly clear, I think that they meant the congressional districts that existed at the time this language was added to the Constitution. Not some future definition of congressional districts, not congressional districts that existed at the beginning of statehood, but that existed at the time. I don't know how they could have meant anything else. I think to say that, you, that we have to throw this amendment out of out fidelity to strict construction of the Constitution is just wrong and strange. We can apply this uh, this initiative process just as well as we could have in 1992, because there is a state law that gives us a definition of five districts. Presumably the state constitution meant to refer to state law when it said five uh, districts. The legislature was supposed to carry out the provisions. It did. Uh, by enacting a law with five districts, I don't know what more you want in fidelity to strict construction. You don't need a living constitution to just look up what five districts means under state law and apply.
2: I do want to pull back because we've been discussing this with with a very legal lens uh, as it's being presented to the Supreme Court. But you mentioned earlier, you know, it's hard to hide from the fact that the subject matter seems to be uh, an unspoken part of all of this. Why are we hearing this case now when we have substantial examples of this process being considered legitimate?
5: Well, because it's medical marijuana and because the petitioner opposes medical marijuana. Because medical marijuana, as it's written now, uh, as as would be enacted, is controversial. If this lawsuit had been brought on the voter ID amendment, uh, I don't think we'd see this lawsuit, certainly not from this constituency. And if we did see it from anyone, I believe that the Supreme Court would vote either unanimously or overwhelmingly to uphold the amendment that if this that that it's the medical marijuana content that is driving this that uh, explains this petition in the first place uh and is the only reason anybody thinks this legal issue is difficult is because it it's losses are in almost every instance instrumental a means to an end this lawsuit is brought because it was the one avenue believed to exist to uh, to try to defeat uh, medical marijuana, uh, at, uh, at the, the medical marijuana initiative. That's its purpose. That would be its effect. It may have other effects, too. But that's what drives all this, not an abstract fidelity to uh, a principle of constitutional interpretation, which really isn't even in play here. We can strictly construe those words according to their original meaning, apply Section 1037, and be done with this in a few seconds, which is more or less the approach taken by the Secretary of State uh, and taken by the Secretary of State in prior amendments. It is the subject matter that drives us, and if this p- petition succeeds, uh, it would be hard to explain by any criteria other than opposition to medical marijuana. Right. That if this were a voter I.D. law under challenge and just change voter I.D. with medical marijuana every time you see it, the court, if it accepted the case at all, if it had oral argument at all, would easily conclude the amendment was constitutional.
2: in my opinion. Well, based on that premise, is there an obligation um, for the justices to consider examples like the voter I.D. law that it did pass and was considered legitimate, uh, under the current procedures and also the potential ramifications. Uh, if they rule that this one medical Sorry. marijuana initiative 65 is unconstitutional.
5: And you know that uh, now I, I think it'd be very difficult to, to render this unconstitutional yet, say voter ID, and eminent domain or whatever else it is. I think it'd be very difficult, but not impossible because, uh, what we get decisions out of the U.S. I mean, out of the U.S. Supreme Court and the Mississippi Supreme Court where five of nine justices agree to the outcome. And so five of nine justices can say, well, however late this was, this was filed before it went into effect. So we'll hear this, but not here and after the fact challenge to voter ID. That's the only difference. Is it possible to imagine a majority of the Supreme Court striking down medical marijuana, but yet finding some way based on the timing of the lawsuits to uphold voter ID. Not only is it possible, I think it's likely. I think they'd find a way to save voter ID because voter ID is widely popular, particularly on the constituency that matters in judicial election.
2: Matt Steffi, professor at the Mississippi School of Law. As always, we thank you for your insight, your perspective.
5: It's my pleasure. This is a fascinating thing to watch.
2: One's interested in constitutional interpretation
0: and argument. Coming up, this year's Poetry Out Loud competition might look different, but the result is familiar. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: Hey, this is
5: Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio.
0: This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks.
4: The tree outside the window, which was simply shadow moments ago, takes back its branches twig by leafy twig. And as I take my body back, the sun lays its warm muzzle on my lap, as if to make amends.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. This year's Poetry Out Loud competition had a different feel to it due to the coronavirus pandemic. Contestants who usually compete together in regional and state finals presented their recitations alone in front of cameras. But rising to the top of a crowded field of 947 students was a familiar name and voice to the Mississippi Poetry Out Loud community, Morgan Love, who you just heard the senior from the Mississippi School for the Arts, followed her 2020 win by capturing this year's title. She shares more on her experience and what lies ahead with our Michael Guidry.
6: Um, the 2020 experience was different because everything was virtual. I was talking in front of a camera instead of a crowd, and that kind of shot up my confidence because I wasn't speaking in front of people. I used to have a bad social anxiety, so that kind of helped. Um I was sitting down while I was doing my recitations rather than standing up like I was last year, which was different in terms of how I spoke my um poems and how I did everything and how I said everything. So that was really different. I would say that I kind of liked it better when it was virtual rather than having it be in person because I just felt like I was more connected with the camera. But other than that, it was just a different experience all around. Everything was just, it was new. It was a new experience.
2: Morgan, one of your entries, uh, a piece called Genetics, Um, Mm -hmm. I want to play it. It's short. I want to play it and then get your thoughts on why you selected that piece. So let's listen to it first.
4: Okay. My mother has a gap between the two front teeth. So does Daddy Gunner. Each child in this family has the same space connecting us. Our baby brother Roman was born pale as dust. His soft brown curls and eyelashes stop people on the street. Whose angel child is this? They want to know. When I say my brother, the people where doubt think it's a cape. Until we smile. And the cape falls.
2: Morgan, listening to you engage in this conversation and hearing you recite uh, that poem, uh, there's a little bit of a different sound quality. What draws you to a piece? And then when you think about delivery... What role does, does dialect or that change in tone play as you're trying to find a way to personify the words that you're reciting?
6: Um, I'm, I don't know. When I chose genetics specifically, I really just read the words and I saw how it related to my life. I always try to look for pieces that I can relate to, and genetics spoke to me because I have a gap and my whole family has a gap. So it kind of worked out. It kind of was like a story that I was telling about myself, but somebody else wrote it. And I feel like once I can find something within a poem that I can relate to and then I can speak to and have some truth in it, that really helps the way I deliver it and how I present it out. But in terms of like dialect and everything, that's those are choices that I make as I'm learning the poem. And I looked at a couple videos of the writer of the poem, um, Jacqueline Woodson, and I saw how she talked and how she presented herself and how she read her other work and I kind of drew from her and saw how she talked and kind of put that in with my own accent and just kind of made it work and I tried to make it as personal as possible and I feel like I did a good job and I don't know I just feel like when you're looking for a poem it has to be something that you can relate to and something that you can find truth in and that's how I found my poems and how I can perform them and just figure out everything that goes with reciting a poem.
2: Now, Morgan, you are the 2021 Poetry Out Loud champion, but you're also the 2020 Poetry Out Loud champion. We spoke last year. You stepped in your junior year, uh, and you competed, and, and, and you did well, and you walked away champion. Um, how was it different this year, coming back as the, the defending champ?
6: Um, I don't know. I feel like last year it was unfinished business. I, I didn't get to go to nationals last year. And I knew that I wanted to come in senior year and be at that same position. And I wanted to go to nationals. So I just had that mindset, the whole competition was, I got to get back to where I was, I got to get back to where I was. And I did. And that's just what kind of kept me going in the midst of the competition. Um Despite the pandemic, I just feel like, I had a second chance. I did this competition in my ninth grade year. I didn't advance and all. And I did it again in my junior year and I did advance, but I didn't go to nationals and senior year was my last chance to actually make do with what I had to do. I had to get to where I had to be, which was nationals. And I feel like I'm, I'm on the track there and I am doing it. So.
2: Well, let's go there. Uh, That's the next step. Um, They are going to be held this year unlike last year. Uh, So, what are you most looking forward to to competing nationally, and what lies beyond that? You're a graduating senior. What are your future plans?
6: Um, well, in terms of nationals, I'm just excited for that experience. I haven't experienced nationals yet. I don't know what the national competition would be like. Um, I love the idea that I'll be being able to see people from other States. I've primarily worked with people within the state and I want to see like what, what, what do people in Louisiana sound like when they're reciting their poems or what are people in Florida or New York, is just California. I want to. I want to see what it's like in the other states. And I feel like that's what I'm most excited about with the national competition. But in terms of af- after the national competition, it's it's college. <laughs> it's higher education. And I'm just so excited, but I'm also nervous for that. I'm actually not committed to a school. But as of right now, I'm looking towards Loyola in New Orleans. And that's where I'm, my heart is putting me at. And I'm just excited for the future. And I'm just I want to see what life is going to be out—be like after MSA and after high school, because I've been in high school for four years now and I'm tired of it. I want something new. I want change. And I'm just so excited for the future.
2: Well, we wish you luck, Morgan Love 2021 Thanks. Poetry Out Loud champion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so
6: much.
0: And you can see and hear more of Morgan Love and the other eight Poetry Out Loud semifinalists tonight at 8 on MPB Television and streaming on mpbonline.org. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it.